Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by My First Giallo Horror, a brand new children's book from the creators of Cinephile, a card game. My First Giallo is a clever, colorful tribute to the works of Dario Argento, Mario Bava, and other masters of the macabre. With lurid thrillers, leather gloves, profundo rosa, and a bay of blood, My First Giallo Horror is a beautifully illustrated introduction to the wonderful world of Italian horror. From Giallo to Phantasmagoria for horror fans of all ages. While your kids may be too young for Suspiria and Deep Red, they're never too young for my first Giallo horror. Shaun of the Dead filmmaker Edgar Wright calls the book groovy, gorgeous, and gore-soaked and says start your kids' cinephilia early with this cool, super fun illustrated guide to all things Giallo. We both read the book and thought it was absolutely awesome. This was a super fun way to get your kids into Italian horror. Yeah, forget your kids. This is like for us. I don't get my kids. Kids don't have pocketbooks. No, it has garish fashions and fan. I think there's one that looks like Deep Red, one that looks like Suspiria, but they're like fun little sayings and mm-hmm. it's just really cute. It's a it's really, really fun to flick cute. through. Yeah, this it is. It wouldn't be super disturbed. <laughs> super fun for adults just as much as for kids. Um, and right now we have an exclusive offer for Colors of the Dark listeners. Use the code Fangoria before December 25th for 20% off at lilcinephile.com. That is lil as in L-I-L cinephile.com. An essential gift for cinephiles and horror fans of all ages. My first Jalo horror is available now at lilcinephile.com. Fangoria for 20% off. Hello and welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am your co-host Rebecca McKendry, and with me drinking from his Jallo cup is Elric Kane. Yes, it only took us about an hour to decide how we were going to say Jallo at the start. Jallo. It's like Giallo. two syllables. And no matter how hard I try, I have to concentrate because I'm so used to saying Jallo, which is like the lazy American way to say it. It took so much concentration. I would say, say lazy it. international because it's not just America. I think in New Zealand, I was probably saying Jallo. Then I heard Eli Roth on a podcast recently, and every time because he spent so much time in Italy, he would say "giallo," and so I was like, "Oh, okay, that that makes sense." Yeah. yeah. So that ad <laughs> took a lot of focus, where every single time I had to be like "giallo," yeah. giallo. But so, it's a very yeah. cool book, and we love giallo. So yeah. maybe when we're back in January, we'll be uh, maybe we'll find an episode to focus in on giallo because it uh, I think we definitely need January to. giallos. January giallo. I've got a stack on my shelf that I have not watched yet, too. Um, yeah, I think like that's just, what we'll, we'll yeah, do. We'll do. But, we'll but do importantly, this is the last Colors of the Dark for 2022. We will be off for almost a month. I am going to be in a different country. You're going to be in a different country. Yep. There's, this is how it's going to go. But we are here because we are going to get to our top tens of the year later. Big deal. And everything deal. I watched up front are stuff I was considering trying to jam as much as i possibly could and uh, in a year that is crazy i'll tell you this much yeah. i had a movie we're gonna get to it i have a feeling it might make your list i had a movie that was number one on my list for about three months at the start of the year and now it's like 12 that's never really? happened in the history of me watching movies that's how good this year was like i kept seeing great horror movies every month and it's this has been probably one of the best i think in the last like i don't know 10 decade or so it just in terms of volume you know just so many yeah. good horror films uh so no no complaints from me in 2022 
No, we definitely had kind of an, uh, a surplus of riches this year. So, and even still, there's like ones that I still did not get to see. Like I literally two weeks ago made myself a list of like, okay, these are the things that I need to watch before we get to that top 10 episode. And it was probably 12 more films. And I think I made it through like six of them. So I still feel like I have some glaring oversights. Like I really wanted to see surgery. I did. I did have surgery. And, but you know, and this is the weird thing I kept saying, well, I'm going to have surgery. I know I'm going to be down like bedridden for like at least two days after that. But seriously, all I fucking did was sleep and watch reality television. Like my brain could not even function enough. Well, also horror, you know? horror TV. Yeah, which depending usually... on the kind of horror. It depends what kind of horror. Some pain, some painful horror you might not want to watch when you're in pain, but I don't know. Everyone's no, I think usually I'd be fine, but it was just like the surgery kind of wiped me to the point that I was just like, I could wake up long enough to watch like a half an hour of like Love Island. And then I was like right back out um, yeah. for a solid 48 hours. So I during that time did not watch any of the shit that I had hoped to. Instead, I'm all types of up on my reality television, there, which is not what I aim for. There's one that um, I will mention up here because it's one that we can't see. It's coming out in maybe a week after the show airs. And for, unfortunately, for top 10 lists, because it's uh, it won Sundance. And a lot of people said it's one of the best horror films of the year called Nanny. Um, I and, kept hearing about yeah, this. It's kind of frustrating that yeah. they didn't come out because I was already I think it might have played like one or two theaters, but very limited. It'll be on Amazon. I really wanted to see it. So if it's not on this list, hey, that's yeah, that's what you get could. for waiting that long. Uh, and there's plenty of other good films on here. So yeah, at right. the top, I'm not going to talk about, I've seen a couple things that will make my 10. I'm not going to talk about them up top. I'm only going to talk about things that some of them didn't fit because they're not quite horror and others just, you know, they're close. But uh, we have a few discards before we get into the big the big list. Yeah, I'm going to kick off. And if any of these are somewhere on your list, stop me and I'll stop talking about them. But I'm going to. Or I'll just say I won't say anything. Oh, um, I'll, I'll let you talk about them and then I'll just not, you know. OK, you can hold it and tell me if they're on your list later. So I'm going to start kick off with I watched Fresh and I, I watched like this um, because a lot of people were saying it was going to be on that. You know, this is you, Becca. You're going to love this movie. I did not love it as much as I wanted to. Um, I had I had some issues with parts of it. But that said, I found it to the filmmaking of it to be fun. Usually cannibal movies are not my bag. Like there are certain ones that I love the way that they're done. Like Raw, I absolutely loved. Um, but usually I don't seek out cannibal movies in quite the same way I do some other subgenres where it's like, oh my God, a new like religious horror coming out. I'm going to see that sucker or shark movies or things like that. Um, cannibals, I've just always have kind of been more repulsed by than I am like intrigued enough to get through the movie. But this is a, this, quite a fresh take on that, isn't it? Yeah, this was a really creative take. And I will say it almost lost me in the first half an hour because I thought it was turning into a torture film. Yeah, And then I was like, why would everybody recommend this to me? This is Def is like a woman trapped in a room, chained up. This is not my jam. And then it got more interesting as it went along and how it kind of kept reworking itself and it kept going. Um, it very much reminded me of something that like, what was the name? The Laughing Woman. It reminded mm. me of something like The Laughing Woman. Um, right, where- like- sexual was, politics mm-hmm. uh, playing out between a captor and captive 
Yeah. yeah. And so that part I enjoyed deeply. I also really liked the way that it was filmed because it had a really fun 1980 soundtrack. It was really trying to do something interesting with itself. Um, It was still a little repulsive for me at times. But um, yeah, this one I liked. It did not make my top 10 list. It is not my, you know, fave film of the year that I was hoping for, but I still definitely enjoyed what it did and that it was trying something different. It feels like at times almost like a romantic comedy with like a pop sensibility, but then has this very dark undercurrent. What I like most is actually what the cannibalism element actually is in the thing was so unique and modern that I was like, oh, that's very interesting. No, so this is actually the movie I was just talking about. In January, I saw this at Sundance and I it was probably my number one for a good three to four months of that year. And now it's not even the 10. And and that doesn't diminish the film. It's just, I saw so many good films. Mm-hmm. So this film held on for a while. It would probably be in my like, you know, 12, 13 spot now. So, uh, but really good movie. I agree. And um, yeah, I thought, I thought you would like the way that's filmed. Yeah. Thought- it's a really fun filming style for a very kind of gruesome, abhorrent topic. It was a really fun movie. Uh, I got a couple obscure ones that I saw that like are really interesting, but not quite this kind of list um one i've been wanting to see for um about a year so lucille had lizovic i'm terrible at saying her name the one the woman who made evolution that we like that weird mm-hmm. body horror and that, oh that was cool and the favorite of mine innocence which is still my favorite of her movies her new film's called earwig it showed at beyond fest about a year ago but never came out except on movie interestingly enough so actually i got movie to watch it and it's like this um man it's a book adaptation it's just as beautiful and weird as her other movies but it was a little it was almost too oblique and it wasn't until it ended that I actually kind of got the movie. It was like an hour later. I was like, oh, you know, uh, it plays with this young girl who has uh, these fake teeth made of ice. And she is being it's probably during the war, but you never really see the rest of the world. She's being caretaken with by this 50 year old man who's just being paid to look after her. And he comes in and he'll remove almost like dentures. And she has gummy mouth. Otherwise, he gets them out of the ice tray and then he puts her ice teeth back and they only last her a day each time. So it's really strange. He has to keep doing this process. It's very odd. I don't think there was any dialogue for like the first 20, 25 minutes, which was, you know, actually always interests me. I, I like movies like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to learn like their backstories. She's obviously being raised to be given to someone at some point and you don't really understand the what and it just has all these very surreal touches but he obviously starts to care for her a little bit and worries about her and then meanwhile it's, there's a parallel story of a woman who's kind of slightly deformed like a cut on her face from from an accident and her weird relationship and these two stories kind of just track for a while and eventually have just a very strange you couldn't almost tell if they're on the same timeline for a long time and that was part of the confusion i, I kept thinking is that the girl growing up uh, but just for the visuals alone, it has a couple key horror moments. But again, light on being a horror film, but high on being a very atmospheric art film. Uh, again, she she remains probably my the person not director I'm like almost most interested in. But not every one of them is like a hundred percent for me, you know, mm-hmm. just because she's so unique and she's and she's married or the partner of Gaspar Noe all these years. So uh, fascinating movie. That's Earwig on movie. Um, and then another one that's kind of in that same vein is called, uh, and was making some of these lists at the end. It's called The Eternal Daughter by Joanna Hogg, who again is a big, better known as an art house filmmaker. And this is uh, Tilda Swinton, again, playing two roles. She's playing a mother and a daughter. The daughter's like a novelist and the mother, or a filmmaker novelist and the mother is returning to like a seaside kind of, oh, not seaside, but like a mysterious big, um, hotel that kind of that no one's really staying in 
uh, that from her past that she has memories from, and it was probably made during COVID, you know, that's probably the form of production where there's no one around. Um, I don't think this plays great as a horror film or a ghost film. I think it's, it's just too subtle for that. It's, it's a pretty good drama for emotional remembrances. And I don't want to spoil the, the why Tilda Swinton's playing both roles. It's kind of interesting. Um, but what it kind of reminds me of, it's not, a it, it didn't quite work for me. And I've seen some people love the, this is like some people's favorite movie this year. So I, I get it, but not necessarily for horror, but um, what's interesting. It kind of has a bit of a Christmas ghost story for Christmas vibe. Cause it's British and it's kind of spooky, but not, and it's more dramatic. So it's interesting. It, it's definitely, it still costs money. I just, I paid just because I was curious for this making the list, but I would wait another couple weeks on it. Um, but it's called The Eternal Daughter. And I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, again, it's mostly her and herself. <laughs> so shot, reverse shot, um, you know, her changing uh, duds to talk to herself. But, you know, it's it's very deep uh, family stuff, kind of early trauma stuff. So uh, those two, you know, are both interesting. Actually, I'll do a third because that all fits into this like weird art house. Sorry, I had so many discards. Uh, uh, this one just hit Amazon. Uh, you have to pay for it. It's still called Nocebo by Lorcan Finnegan. Uh, and this is Eva Green, who I just always love, and Mark Strong. And it's a she's like a kid fashion designer, and she has an Ill, a mysterious illness that she can't doesn't know what it's from. And I would call this nanny exploitation. I, th- I feel like there's a lot of movies lately. <laughs> nanny exploitation. Like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of nanny nannies are going to come fuck your shit up um, mm-hmm. from other countries and teach you, you know, teach your culture a lesson. That feels to be like I feel like there's at least five films this year like that. Um, and she's from the Philippines, and she's says she can help her with her, you know, these special remedies. And she does start helping her and makes the character really um, have to rely on her. And then you realize she's actually the one who made her sick in the first place. And she has a very political reason to do this. And the visuals are really great. It's one of those ones that looks quite big. Um, Unfortunately, it's just when the politics are so on the sleeve for me, these kind of horror films work so much better when you don't have to play the politics on the top. They play better as subtext. And when it's really about that and the inequalities and stuff, it sometimes feels a little preachy. And this one lost a bit of steam for me. But I think some people will really dig the visuals for sure. Uh, it's got a couple of really creepy things because she's, you know, she's uh, she has her own. I don't want to use the word witchcraft necessarily because it's, I think, a little uh, different from that. Um, what, you know, her skill set. But, it, it, you know, interesting movie. And I haven't heard people really talk about this one too much yet. Okay. Nocebo. Um, So I'm going to keep on going um, with Torn Hearts. And this is one that I had watched a couple of weeks ago, but I never got the chance to talk about it on this show. This is Bria Grant's new one that she made through Blumhouse. They were actually shooting this like really close to where I was shooting Glorious simultaneous to while I was shooting Glorious. And this came out a couple of months ago, but I had just watched it um, in November This one I thought was absolute fun and it really gets bonkers. I had a really good time with this film. It's about two girls who are kind of a country singing duet and they're really trying to break into the business and really trying to push stardom and they're doing okay, but they're like, hey, if we can seek out this old country music legend, she's been kind of elusive and secretive for a while. She lives in this hold up mansion. Nobody really knows where she is. They're like, if we could seek her out and convince her to do a song with us, that would be huge. It would like blow up the world and we'd be famous. And so they figure out where this old country music legend lives now, played by Katie Seagal. 
And they show up at her house with the intention of trying to convince her to do a song with them. <laughs> and then it goes from there. And it gets absolutely fucking bonkers from there. Um, it, it's got an element of camp to it that I absolutely found to be phenomenal. It's submerged fully in this country Western vibe. So the costume, the set, the production design of it is just delicious. And additionally... It feels like at a scripting level that this was meant to be like a hag exploitation film because it's all about, you know, showing up at this old woman, this like elusive, reclusive old woman's house and trying to convince her to, you know, do this song. And, you know, she's kind of creepy and weird and all this secretive stuff happening. Um, but Katie Seagal is still like way too hot for it to come across like that. So it's just Katie Seagal being badass. And man, mm. she goes in this like she pushes herself um so i had an absolute blast with this it, it did have some campy sides to it but this was a fun one for me go bria this was this was a trip yeah i meant to see that i need to see it um okay i've got dark horror comedies or maybe just dark comedies with a little horror element there's three of them that all bear uh mention here one i man this movie if it had had a third act or like another act is called House of Darkness. No one I know has talked about this, and I cannot believe it because it's freaking Neil LeBute making a horror film. Neil LeBute, one of the great American playwrights, and you know, Company of Strangers, your friends and neighbors. Uh, really interesting. Oh, well, you made the Bad Wicker Man remake, but uh, this movie has the MVP of the year, Justin Long, who is just to me the best actor of this year. I don't care what anyone says. I love Justin Long. He is. It basically opens, and he's taking Kate Bosworth home from a bar, and you don't know how they picked her up takes her to her house and it's just the car parks out they look up hey you want to come in and he's like oh sure and he seems like a really nice guy and she happens to live in a freaking gothic manor like a, a huge castle and it's like oh okay and they walk into the castle and then it becomes this like it's spooky but it's also more more of like a common like all his plays like a comedy of manners you know, and and especially modern dating and modern issues and and how people communicate and stuff. And and he's like trying to be a nice guy, but you can't tell if he's just a bit of a jerk, but he's definitely trying his he, he seems like he's presenting himself away and she doesn't give a shit. She'll cut through it. And she she doesn't care. She's like, if you want to just get down to business, we can just do it kind of thing. Now, it's very clear to anyone who's ever seen a movie from minute one that she is a vampire or something like it won't take you five seconds to you'll be sitting there going okay clearly she's something and it makes it really interesting because it kind of layers everything it's very short it's like an 80 minute movie that's why i mean it really could have had another act um and basically they have this long conversation uh, on the couch and there's a little bit of kissing and stuff but she talks about what she likes and he talks about what he likes and and she keeps calling him out anytime he doesn't seem to tell the whole truth and anyway it keeps building and building and it gets kind of spooky because you'll think he sees someone in the house and it builds to you realize at some point she's not alone in the house she has a sister who's also here who also is bored and it's very clear that they like toying probably with men and he's definitely over his head but doesn't really realize it he's just like oh sweet she's got a sister it's pretty damn funny i i mean if you like neil abuse some people hate him they were their skin crawls at his kind of humor that kind of humor he has i find it actually pretty funny and then there's a really there's only really one visual part because it's mostly not very visual because it's like more like a play. But there's a part where he wakes up in an underground facility where there's all, this huge pile of shoes, which is a very good image of like what happened to probably all the previous men. But you realize and it's just creepy and he's in this cavern, but you realize it's a dream. And then he's kind of he's just nodded off for a second. But it's probably an image of what's to come. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't go beyond that because there isn't too much to it except for the back and forth. It's one of those movies right where it ended, even though it has a really cool little ending. It's like, guys, this is 
this is really neat and I actually really like it, but you, no one could ever walk, go, wow, what a great movie without another, like, tw- it felt like it needed another 20 minute burst uh, at, at the end for it to feel like a full thing, full meal. But as a appetizer, I thought it was actually kind of sexy and and funny and weird. Um, and no one's, t- I don't know anyone who's seen this movie. I just, it was on Amazon and I was like, oh, there's a new Justin Long, Neil Butte movie. <laughs> it's wow. like, very strange that no one's like mentioned it, but no, it's pretty good. Um, especially the dialogue and stuff. So I recommend House of Darkness and funny in that dark humor way. Um, in the opposite of that, the, and I'm curious if you haven't seen this one, I think you would really like this very cute new Shutter film called blood relatives by noah sagan i just popped it on my list um to watch i just put it on my my view list um so yeah i've heard really good things about it yeah i will say i saw the poster art for this one and i would have passed 10 out of 10 times on this one personally because it it just looks like photo and it might be intentional because the humor of the film but it just felt like me it didn't make me want to watch it and it didn't look like my kind of movie but i'd heard a few people say the tone was really well done and it has that feeling of an 80s sitcom i would say it feels it reminds me of an 80s show we would have grown up on and he is he's just like kind of a nice a mensch as, as he would say in this character of a vampire who's been on the road forever in his nice car with this cool black leather jacket doing whatever he wants he's not particularly cruel he tries not to overly eat people and stuff he's pretty low profile kind of guy and one day this girl shows up she's been following him for a while and she's like you're actually my dad and you know my mom told me and i've been tracking you for a while and he's like what i don't believe you and then he realizes she's got like she can go out during the day but she does have teeth and he's like oh fuck and so it's really like a weird like comedy sitcom where he's like i guess we can hang out and it makes a couple big leaps in in the timeline that is quite funny and i found myself very surprised how much i was smiling and enjoying and i think it's kind of pitch he kind of made a pitch perfect thing for his own acting persona i think too because it just really played to his strengths and i think a lot of people will kind of like you know see it and i could see him getting cast from this but he, he directed it too so uh so yeah surprisingly cute but the mvp victoria morales is her name and her performance is you watch it and you're like okay she's gonna get picked up uh in a big way because she's really really good in it um and i know sorry i've got i just did way too many titles that i was trying to fit in so one more of the in my horror comedy uh because it's my fr- uh, my friends of the show uh this is called the leech by eric Penikoff. it uh, it fulfills the i think how many christmas horror films do we know of that are ending out this year i feel yeah. like i feel like we have a lot of friends with that this i'd say is the least horror it's way more just a, i would call it a dark pitch black comedy that happens to have a couple horror beats uh, but it really, most of it plays. The the thing I really wrote down while I was watching it is like, I saw Harold Pinter's The Caretaker when I was, I think, 15. We got taken to a play for school. And it really, like, it was as big an influence as any movie I'd seen up to that point. Like, I just couldn't believe the way people spoke. And it has so much in common with that. He, I, I'd be curious to know if Eric's uh, seen that play because it's like basically uh, you have Graham Skipper as a devout uh, priest who has a, almost no one in his congregation in small town. I think it's Indiana. And he, he leaves the parish one day leading up to Christmas and Jeremy Gardner is basically he's not a bum but he has he's got no home and he doesn't know what to do and his girlfriend's meant you know giving him static and he's just kind of troubled and he's like graham basically says oh you can come back to my place just for a little while you know until you're on your feet and of course then it's about the leech jeremy gardner (laughs) moves in again like a sitcom and won't leave and then and then moves his girlfriend in real life jeremy's wife taylor uh gardner in uh to the house and they are like the total opposite they're all about sex toys uh getting high and the priest is always in shock and he's very 
it's nice because it's not like a, a pretend oh the priest is gonna actually be a baddie no he's actually a good guy and he's really trying and it just kind of charts the problems between the two and i think they're very good together their chemistry is great and it's a lot of fun to just see them play off each other and it does go somewhere you know dark uh by the end and i think people you know people, it's a very different kind of uh, dark christmas movie so i wanted to make sure we got a plug in for that one too and i really liked eric's previous film too sadistic intentions yeah um so it's just nice to see him uh keep rolling that is awesome this sounds like one that i definitely want to see i will watch I like jeremy gardner in just about yeah. anything so yeah this i think it's one of the best amazing. grand performances i've seen in a long time too actually because i think yeah. the role the role is different for him playing such the straight laced guy yeah really pushed I, I think it was it was neat to see them uh get you know it's one of those movies that gives them a lot of room you know, it's not all about the sto- propelling the story. So it's not, it's really, you get a lot of time with these two people having to relate to each other. So uh, if that's your bag, you'll dig it. Excellent. Well, I'm going to quickly talk about two TV shows that I caught up on um, these past couple of weeks, um, specifically one that I did watch while I was recovering um, earlier this week, and that is Peripheral. Mm. Um, so this, I won't say is horror, but I'm going to call it horror adjacent so much so that I definitely wanted to at least mention it on the show. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I ran into Craig Perry and Dave Lawson, and both of them were like, holy shit, are you watching Peripheral? And then they sat there and had this like major geek out moment about the show. And so that night I went home and watched Peripheral. And the setup is, um, it's Chloe Moretz, um, Grace. And she is a video gamer in this very rural town. And it's set like five minutes in the future where the video gaming technology is a little bit beyond what we have right now. It's very much more kind of based on like a VR experience where you're putting on a helmet and in going somewhere. And she, through her brother, is hired as a beta tester for this brand new game. And you really quickly get, um, and she's being paid like crazy money. And her mom has medical issues. She's blind. You get the idea that she she's in a lot of pain. Um, and so Chloe will do, um, her character will do just about anything to get the extra money. And you quickly realize that there is something more to this game than just her beta testing it. Like suddenly there are hits out on her life and people are racing through the woods and there's androids and drones all tracking her. And she realizes really quickly that what she thinks is a game may not actually be a game. And what she is actually experiencing in that otherworldly reality, it gets kind of Ender's Game qualities where you get that like it's a different reality that she is entering into with the game. It gets wild. Um, I am only four episodes in on this now and it is so goddamn good. So I, I had to mention it, even though that it's not horror as in like no one's lobbing heads off and there's no vampires. It still is um, really dark and hitting a lot of kind of the horror sci-fi notes that I love so much. The other one that I'll just casually mention is Wednesday, which has been an absolute blast. Like it has restored my faith in Tim Burton, to be honest. Like I have not enjoyed his last couple of projects, but Wednesday I have completely enjoyed. So if you're not watching Wednesday, it's definitely worth catching up. I've heard some people be like, isn't it for kids? It's not. It's it's very much for adults as well as like my college students love it. My 10 year old loves it. Like it's just a good, fun show across the board. And it's the Tim Burton from the 80s and 90s that I have missed as of late. So I'm glad to have it back. What about your uh, Johnny as Wonka Stan Instagram account? Are you going to take that down? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep that going. Okay. Um, I know you're, I, you I prefer that Wonka, it. I believe. I continued it into okay. a TikTok as well. Oh, okay. So, All yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. 
No, I saw a little bit of it and it looked fun. I, I like, I was it's like, very okay, fun. I like yeah. the actress. So I'll probably, I'll probably get to it someday. I can't even get my kids to watch that Johnny. Um, it, oh, like, it's creepy. Uh, He's creepy. They, they find it so much more creepy than the original. Oh, and I, I love the original. It's one of my favorite would, movies. Yeah. Yeah. And the original, they still get freaked out by the tunnel scene, just like I did when I was six yeah. watching it and be like, oh my God, centipede on that woman's face. Um, it still creeps them out just as much as me, but the Johnny Depp one, they're just like, this is weird, mom. It's yeah. weird. And it is like, it's, it's just it's not one choice too many to get, yeah. where you have those choices to make something weird. I never saw a uh, house of shadows has a version of that. No, I didn't okay. either, but yeah, my kids like, Paul. my kids really like his Alice in Wonderland. They yeah. find that to be really fun. I know. Um, too but yeah, CGI for me, that one. Me too. Most of his recent stuff, like I admittedly have not enjoyed some of his recent Disney stuff that mm-hmm. he's done. Like, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. It's this... funny. He has, he's still his name. Like when I do auteur projects for school and, and the students can pick any director, he's still because his style's so identifiable and easy to kind of hold on to. He's still probably the most popular name, which is amazing given the last few films have been uh, not as strong. Yeah. So a lot of semesters all serve on the admission committee for USC Cinematic Arts. And and there's like a bajillion of us and we don't, you know, we, we all just kind of read the essays and then rate them. And um, I will say that the majority of the essays that I read, I refer to as love letters um, to random filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And the two people that I read the most love letters to are Wes Anderson and Tim Burton. So it's the same thing. Like it's identifiable. Still has this amazing impact on people, even though that his past couple of you know films have not been amazing. Um, Hey kids, listen up! If you want to get into Becca and Elric University, let's get some Carpenter letters. Let's get some Jalo letters going. Jalo, the can exploitation maybe a little exploitation letters. I always say it's like anytime it's admissions time. I'm not doing the admissions committee this year because I had too much going with the other film. But it's always like. Okay, I got 20 love letters to Wes Anderson to read tonight. Let's go in, guys. So. Kind of crazy. Um, I'll tell you, uh, because you did a TV show, funny. I, so I mentioned in the, in the ad up top, The Kingdom Exodus. I had forgotten this was coming out, and I forgot Von Trier had done this. And I'm, as you know, I'm a huge fan of The Kingdom 1 and 2. I just, it had a real impact the way Twin Peaks did on me when I saw it. I didn't realize it had been that long ago. And I just watched episode one and the first half of the second. And all I'll tell you is what's funny about this series and why I think it's going to be more of a dark comedy than horror, but um, it opens with somebody watching the end of Kingdom Part 2. She takes it out of the DVD player. And what you realize is the third season is set in the same world, but in the world, that was a TV show that was made by Lars von Trier for television in Denmark, and he made the people who worked at the hospital act in it, and they all call it a piece of shit. And they're constantly saying, oh, fucking Lars von Trier, he's terrible, what a hack. And I, and man, he made me say this dialogue, and our reputation at the hospital, the Kingdom Hospital, is totally ruined. And I was like, oh my god, that is such a funny starting place for a show like this. It's And it makes sense after all this time. So, yeah. But he jumps right into the same kind of weird things, like weird tele, you know, telekinetic voices and stuff. And so I'm very curious where this is going to go. So it was worth a movie because I just I need to know where a show like this goes. And also, we won't get much more Lars uh, films because he he has he has announced that he has a you know um, I think he has I think it was Parkinson's and he was he he made it very clear he wasn't mm. doing great. And so this might be one of the last big things he he mounts. Um, you know, we'll see. But uh, you know, it was it was a bummer to hear that uh, at the end of last year. 
Um, and the last thing I'm going to mention, it, because it's not really horror, but it is one of the best things I've seen this year. So I have to give a lot of love. And you saw it earlier. Uh, Something in the Dirt by Benson and Moorhead yeah. and, and, and produced by Lawson. This is a terrific, terrific, one of the best pandemic things I've seen to be come out of it. But I didn't, for me, it's not horror enough to be on a horror list, but it is, it's much more of a, it's like somewhere between Under the Silver Lake and um you know like a do-it-yourself <laughs> model uh movie slash documentary slash paranoid uh youtube video survey uh but it's a really cool rabbit hole and they're both really good in it and i think it's got a lot of ingenuity and it's just one of those films that i found myself very pleasantly going into it and just watching how they dug deeper and deeper into these weird ideas and characterizations and so i think a lot of people who listen to this will enjoy this but to me it's like mm-hmm. even though there's kind of horror elements in a lot of ways it's almost more of a in sci-fi almost it's hard to classify really no i i, I um debated this for a stretch was my number 10 yeah. um and then i kept saying i feel like it is more sci-fi than anything but no i absolutely loved this movie so much and it was and it was just nominated for a um independent spirit award for yeah. uh best uh low budget movie or movie under a million yeah um, i think it's the cassavetes award or something like that yeah. Yeah, so. and i just what they did and seeing them through this process because i was working with them during the pandemic, like we were updating constantly because we were trying to shoot. We, we'd shot that short right at the top of the pandemic um, separation, which is on shutter. Now we had done right at the top of the pandemic. And so then they were, you know, talking about trying to get something overseas and they had this other script that I read and gave notes on, but it was much bigger. And then what I love so much about those guys is just their fuck it. Let's do it ourselves attitude where they were like, well, if we're stuck in this, we're stuck in this. And so just writing something and going from there and seeing them put it together was just absolutely remarkable. And then how well it turned out. Well, and also um, for me, I think my hesitation, to be honest, was uh, them as the actors. And mm-hmm. uh, I actually, because I've seen them both appear in other things and they've both been good, but I actually think this is like, they're both really good in this. Mm-hmm. And it's and it was really interesting to me to see. And and obviously it's out of necessity because, you know, there were pandemic shooting and, uh, but you know, that, that impressed me because it just, showed a kind of a complete package film which is cool and very inspirational for those looking to like break in you can't use the excuse of not enough money because anyone could do something like this mm-hmm. if they wanted to so yeah really neat movie and definitely worth uh, a look and on vod probably now yes this episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover with Mubi. Each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. Now on Mubi, very exciting, and I've already started this and was going to talk about it in the episode, Lars von Trier, 25 years later, is back with new The Kingdom. So The Kingdom 1 and 2 are currently on Mubi, but now also The Kingdom 3, which is called Exodus, a five-part series, Lars von Trier returns to the original haunted hospital of his 90s TV sensation with the dazzling limited event series. Set in the run-up to Christmas, The Kingdom Exodus serves as an incomparable blend of horror and humor on a compulsively entertaining path towards the promise 
of Armageddon. A new episode of the Kingdom Exodus drops every Sunday. I believe they're up to three episodes so far. Uh, also now on movie, one of the best films of the year by far, and probably will be the top film of my year, uh, from the greatest director still working. Decision to leave. The Twisted Romance comes from Park Chan-wook, the acclaimed director of Old Boy and The Handmaiden and Stoker. Critics call Decision to Leave a gloriously fucked up love story and Hitchcockian neo-noir. Cannes prize-winning triumph that is now South Korea's Academy Award submission for Best International Feature Film. Decision to Leave is available to stream now exclusively on Mubi. You can try Mubi for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Fangoria. That's M-U-U-B-I dot com slash Fangoria for a whole month of Grey Cinema for free. Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves. So what is AG1? Uh, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro-habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, shall we? Do we have it in us to do a top 10 horror films of 2022? I feel like we do. It's a pretty great year. I thought so, too. I've got some really exciting stuff on here. Um, So, as usual, as we have done in past, we will slowly be counting down. If somebody has one that they have played higher, um, we will announce that we have played it higher, and therefore we will hold off on it and circle back to it at the end. Um, Uh, Yeah, Bromley. We call it the Bromley. The Bromley rule. Uh, In honor of Mr. Patrick Bromley from If This Movie. Yes, so if somebody has it higher, we, we we will hold to discuss it. But otherwise... Before we do that, let's predict how many we will share in common. Oh, good Sometimes we have a lot, sometimes we don't. 
I've left one thing off that I've already been regretting all day. And it's such a good movie that I feel like it, one day it might even be the top of this list. But at the moment, it's not even on the 10. I'm hoping it's on yours. Wow. Uh, I'm going to predict four in common. Okay. I'm going to predict. Um, so just general in common or in the same order? Oh, no. Just even on the top 10. Like I'm going to go ambitious. I'm going to say six in common. Okay. I mean, it could be eight. It could be. Yeah. I have no idea. But um, but I have a feeling some most years, usually there's a few differences. Yeah, we usually do have a few differences. Yeah, so, that's probably why but, we um... are still podcasting all these yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, okay. number 10, you kick us off. I am going to kick us off with number 10, which for me is Hellraiser. Oh, well, sh- shockingly, it is not on my list. Okay. Uh, but I but I do, ma- when we do our honorable mentions, I'll explain my reasoning. So Hellraiser for me, um, this one... You know, I was just so excited to get a Hellraiser reboot of any possibility, shape, or form. And what I absolutely loved about this is that it did not rely on trying to use prior everything. Like, it basically said, let's just reboot the world. And at the same time, it took the parts of the original Hellraiser and used that to its advantage. Like, the stuff that, you know, we loved in the original Hellraiser, the Cenobites, how weird they are, the lament configuration, the history behind it, and really even bringing it out, like, the lament configuration has different formations and kind of the different planes and what Cenobites come during those times. It really kind of doubled down on the mythology for me, it did miss a little bit of the mark in just that it was kind of not the the best lovable protagonist that I'd had all year. Um, she definitely had some, some. I mean, and she wasn't supposed to be likable. She was supposed to be kind of a hot mess, um, which, yeah, made it a little bit of a struggle because she was doing such, you know, bad things throughout. But that said, um, I absolutely loved how much they leaned into the mythology and where they went with the Cenobites. So with that, it deserved to be on my list. Definitely one of my favorite viewing experiences of the year yeah so that is my number 10 i have like two films that one and the one i was just talking about that could be even higher that i feel like i have to rewatch them before i'll know because mm-hmm. watching it that first time i was like oh you're taking in so much for a property that you know so much about you know and uh but i definitely dug it and uh i i really hope they make more of them you know what i mean that's that new world would be fun all right my number 10 i don't know if you saw this one but i had to keep this one on the list because it was the most I don't know, kind of one of the more intense experiences of a film. It had a lot of uh, word of mouth coming out of like, I don't know, South by or somewhere uh, that it was one of the most fucked up movies. And that is the sadness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't. Everybody told me it was really heavy. Yeah. Look, I think you would actually dig this because it's uh, directed by Rob Jabez. This is from Taipei. And I think this is a really cool movie. I think maybe people get either scared off or overhyped. But this movie is, I think, for people who dig like crazy really sicko wild hong kong horror and stuff this is like that but a little bit more glossy it is it starts with this really nice couple and they wake up together and they they know the girl's gonna have to go across town to work and he's and the guy is is gonna be like at the house all day and basically as soon as she leaves these reports start breaking out about some shit's gone fucking bonkers and people are losing their minds and what it is is people are there's some sort of virus break pandemic breakout where people aren't just becoming like zombies, like everything, they're becoming like deranged sadists. And I've never seen this, more like the crazies, if in the crazies there were sexual perverts. And so it gets really 
like dangerous and kind of kind of nasty and the guy is like i need to find my girlfriend and it really the structure of the film is him trying to find her and get across town and i just found it so much more um surprising and dangerous and weird and even offensive at times than a lot of recent movies that i and i appreciated that because it was like unpredictable and there's a character this you know she doesn't know about the breakout yet a lot of people don't and she's on a subway and there's just a tip and it just plays out that perfect subway situation where like there's an older guy who's offers her seat but she feels a little creeped out and at that stage he doesn't seem creepy but as the virus starts to get through people, it starts changing his character. He becomes the big bad of the movie. And mm-hmm. it is frightening. This guy is so intense. It's one of the best performances of the year, just in terms of playing like a monstrous thing. He is really grotesque. But it really reminded me of uh, movies from a totally different era, uh, wild stuff from the 80s. And I thought it was super cool. And so like if people can't take those kind of movies, they shouldn't watch it. But and there, if there's torture and all the mutilation, all this crazy stuff, but also has this kind of a bit of a tongue in cheek because it's so depraved and it's going for it. And it's, I don't know, to me, that's refreshing. Cause I, I think stuff starts to bleed together when you don't have a few films going on the edges like this. And this mm-hmm. one was on shutter. It was bought by shutter. So it's totally accessible. I just feel like not enough people have still seen it and um, really cool movie. The sadness, the sadness. Um, so continuing with my number nine, um, I'm not sure if you would put this on or not, but it was one of our first post-pandemic films that we saw together. And this is The Cursed. I, it oh. came so close because I, lo- I like this even more than you. Which is I know. Because I, no. somehow I just didn't make it on. It's a really And this movie. one, it really grew on me. And, and this, I will say, it was competing with another film, which I ended up saying, though, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't say that I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Like, these are our personal, like, lists yeah. of the yeah. ones that we loved the best. Um, And The Curse for me, I loved this for and wanted to include it for a number of reasons. The first one being it's a period piece. It is a big budget period piece and we don't get those anymore and so i really wanted to kind of celebrate it for that and give it um its due because even when elric and i were in the theater seeing it i think we were the only ones in the theater that night and it is a big budget massive like period you know 1700s werewolf movie um or whatever the creature is right it's yeah it's not and that was the other reason i really wanted to include it is it's not even a clear-cut werewolf it's using kind of werewolf tropes with it the idea of like silver teeth but it's a completely different creature than anything i've seen before and it had some really cool practical effects in there like some of the effect sequences were just really tight some of the transformation stuff was really cool this one even though that there were parts of the movie that i did not find to be perfect it had so much goodness in it and so many things that I want more of that I really wanted to include and encourage others to see it. And that is The Cursed. Yeah, I completely um, agree. Yeah. That's great that it's making it because it's like, I thought about this one forever afterwards because the creature is basically like if you took the thing and dropped it in the middle of a period film. Yep. And that's just like, isn't done. You know, if we never really see things like that. So it's like Brotherhood of the Wolf, but with an alien kind of yes. werewolf, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, really cool movie. And I'm really glad it probably would, it was like at 12 at the moment, but it's, it's, you know, it's a good year. Like you said, um, my number nine was like, again, this one was number one when I saw it for a while. So it's, it goes to show you, but number nine is a film I really like. And I was very happy for this director to, after uh, being a big fan of her short, we've talked about her before. And this is Watcher 
by Chloe Okuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I saw this one at, at the Sundance. Um, so it was a little early with Micah Monroe. Uh, she's an American woman who moves to, I believe it was yeah, Bucharest uh, to be with her fiance or husband. I can't remember. Uh, and, you know, she it's during the pandemic. It feels like it's kind of pandemic. So she doesn't really know how to communicate to other people and she feels a bit trapped. And it becomes one of those films about. Uh, not being believed you know she starts to believe there's a stranger watching her and that it could also be the person that people are saying there's been a couple murders and she's pretty sure of it at a certain point she is sure and no one including her partner it's kind of like a lot of people gaslighting you and not taking you seriously and then it gets real it it has a period of like about 20 minutes Mm -hmm. where it's just freaking intense it's like some of the best kind of tension building i've seen this year with the with the guy who uh has been following her and it's just it's got a great ending and it's a really strong when I watched I thought it was like it's a very me movie I didn't necessarily think it would be a big movie but every plane I've been on every this movie is on everything I I was actually surprised to see that because it it feels almost austere but Mm -hmm. I I swear to god every plane ride I've taken this year and every like VOD channel it's just always been there and I've always been like wow Watcher is getting so whoever put that out is is giving it the play I think it's IFC Midnight maybe um I it might be yeah it might be AMC I know it's on Shutter right now um and she was with me at the AMC um conference a couple of weeks ago yeah it might have ended up there I think it's made might have started IFC I don't know but but wherever it was it's been it really has gotten a great placement and it's just a very good it's much more of a classic like feels like a 90s thriller maybe like if you like mute witness you would like this those kind of movies that we often talk about um but i'm a big fan and micah monroe is really having you know a great few years in this uh, genre so excellent okay so that takes us to number eight i have a feeling that my number eight is going to be higher for you and Mm. that is pearl no but i'll explain why later Oh, wow. Okay. So my number eight is Pearl. Uh Um, This one, this is the one that I moved around the most because there were parts of this movie that I absolutely loved. And I thought um, by far, it's my favorite Ty West film that he's done so far. And um, so this one, I really wanted to include it on the list, but I I kind of went back and forth with where it was going to go. So it has landed here at number eight. I definitely preferred this to X. I liked the style behind this one. X for me, I'm still struggling with like it was a cool movie and I thought that it did a lot of interesting things but it was so kind of exploitation. women are disgusting and so for me Pearl felt like the polar opposite like it was a celebration of that and I loved the and it's something that we don't get often in horror but when we do I always find it to be so fun the protagonist slasher the fact that the character that we are stuck with following around, siding with for the entire movie is also the killer. I mean, examples of like Raw and May does it, Carrie does it to a degree, um, American Psycho. And we don't get those very often. And I love them. Like, how do you make a killer who is doing these abhorrent acts absolutely compelling for two hours? And this movie did it. And I just love the style. I love that he leaned in on that old school Hollywood aesthetic. And this one for me was was Ty West's best film by far. Um, so that is at my number eight, Pearl. 
yeah no i liked it a lot but the, there's some obvious reasons coming why it doesn't make yes. sense and we'll talk about it but but it was interesting i did i felt i felt that was a very me and you conversation where one of us would prefer one the other yep. would prefer the other we both we understand what's good about the other one but the, it kind of is a taste uh difference which is great for him because if he can do that in a one year god no one gets to do that so um all right my number eight i know you haven't seen and uh it's the one that it's it's the biggest surprise on the list and it's i've talked about it at length uh it's the movie i never thought in a million years uh would be on this list and that's terrifier 2 directed by damien leone this is i love that it's on your uh, fucking list this, this could be higher this could have been number three i had this was one of the best experiences i had in a theater i couldn't believe i mean again like i said to many people, including like Steve Barton, people I've talked to, I did not like the first film. I did not like the short. I don't particularly like clown movies. I saw it was two and a half hours long. There was nothing for me to think this was going to work for me. And then I sat down and I was like, okay, Lauren Lavera is in a great, like she was a great addition to it because she's the badass like final girl. The films didn't have that before. The Everything is just up a massive level. The, the set pieces, the gore is off the charts. And this is the closest to a crazy fucked up 80s movie that has existed in 20 years. Like this is the movie that I, you know, this movie is going to be huge forever and people are, it's going to be a part three that will be even bigger. And it totally made me a fan of this whole thing. And I'm so happy for them. It's the best story in horror this year. Outside of probably Ty West hitting a double, this is the best story. This is a guy who just kept at it and then knocks one out of the park that actually makes huge amount of money at the box office independent film i mean way past 10 million at the box office for a tiny for a two hundred fifty thousand dollar movie insane everything about the story shouldn't exist and uh i'll be i think when you get to it you will be there'll be sequences in this that you will think are unreal because the Mm -hmm. gore is so the gore in the other ones is like shock value gore like i'm gonna split a woman like and it's like okay that's kind of clever for a low budget movie this one it's like he's showing that he's one of the best practical effects guys out there and he's the director he, he did there's a sequence that just keeps going and going and gets crazier and crazier and by the end of it you're like that is one of the most amazing fuck most fucked up things i've seen in a movie and yet you kind of laugh because it's also kind of comic um i don't know it's just it's not a movie i expected and here it is uh high on a list in one of the best horror years so um massive kudos to all involved terrifier too wow okay i know you have not seen my number seven Ooh. as well um, and this is one that I highly recommend that you circle back and check out okay. just because it was one of the highlights of my year, so much so that I totally geeked out on one of the directors when I met her a couple mm. of weeks ago. And this is Sissy. Um, oh, I Sissy, almost did it almost right before this week because I remember you liking it, but I was like, it's about social media, so I wasn't sure. It's not social media. It's okay. Social media is an element, but it's not a social media horror film. It is about um, these two best friends throughout their entire childhood into high school um, run into each other after decades of having not spoken to each other. And you find out that one was really bullied. Her name's Cecilia, and they called her Sissy. And she she was really heavily bullied. And the other one, Emma, still hangs out with all of their old friends from high school and is like, how come we never see you anymore? Oh, my God, so-and-so is getting married. You should come to the bachelorette party. And you find out that Cecilia has kind of turned her life around, that she has become a wellness influencer, um, specifically a mental wellness influencer. She's all about safe spaces and, you know, treating yourself well and taking care of yourself and making yourself feel good. And suddenly she goes on this bachelorette weekend with these girls that she felt really bullied her. And you quickly um, kind of get submerged back into where she was in high school and see her kind of battling 
the person that she's become versus falling back into what she used to be and then going from there. And it really turns itself on its head a couple of times. This is a great example of self-contained horror because aside from that kind of opening scene where two old friends run into each other at a drugstore and you're seeing kind of her her web shows and her intro to her life, the bulk of the movie takes place at a kind of cabin-esque retreat on the Bachelorette weekend. And you stay with it. Like it's self-contained, but you don't feel how self-contained it is. And this one, it's almost entirely females, um, you know, as, as she's at the bachelorette weekend party and really kind of once they start uncovering like what happened in high school, how it all shook out and why everybody is reacting the way that they are. It was just a really tight little mystery. And then it goes full horror at the end. Is um, it Australian? So it's Australian. Yeah. yeah. And this was um, somebody else that I got to meet at the um, big AMC corporate meeting a couple of back in October. Um, Hannah Barlow was there and yeah, this one was just one of my favorite viewing experiences of the year. I watched this on a plane, um, and thought that, yeah, like somebody had sent me a screening link and I had, had saved it to watch on that plane and just completely blown away with how kind of tiny yet moralistic and, you know, kind of just violent it is all at the same time. Um, all right. I, I will definitely watch that one before the, the year's up because that sounds good. Um, my least favorite kind of person, least favorite friend and least favorite kind of director is the one that after you make your perfect top 10 list, uh, the couple days prior, you see their new film and they make a fucking banger and fuck all your plans. up. I know what you're going and I didn't this, get to watch it and I'm this, dying. This is not a good person. So I'm going to talk about their film very fondly, but the person themselves really, you know, it's not good. They should not be doing this to me. I had a good list going. Number seven. A Wounded Fawn by Travis Stevens. This might end up higher. It's just that I've just seen it. This film is, I really like my favorite of his movies by quite a long way now because it's the most, I feel like, I feel like his first film was probably him, but didn't really connect to me. A second film I really liked, but I don't know how him it was. It's, it's like a broader kind of movie, but he did a really good job with it. This feels so him. And also just did so many things that I found very exciting. For one, I'm I'm baffled because a lot of people go, oh, it's like a 70s movie. It's like, no, no, this is 90s Fessenden glass eye picks aesthetic. Like it has that shot on film, kind of grainy, but it always feels like you're watching, um, you know, a human story that's going to devolve into craziness. Josh Rubin and Sarah Lynn are both utterly shine in this. Um, I really felt like basically, and I don't want to give too much away because it's such a fun, surprising movie and just landed, but it is, it's pretty obvious from the get go. It's about a serial killer. And in the opening scene, you see him working in the art world. So it feels kind of nineties art world vibe to me anyway. Uh, and he uh, gets outbid on something and he goes and follows that woman home and makes sure he uh, gets what he came for kind of thing. And you start to realize he's somebody whose brain is working differently. And, and what Travis does is he visualizes what is going through how he sees the world. And he sees these almost uh, kind of Greek mythic characters pop up like a big, you know, golden owl or, you know, these almost like these harbingers. And you can't tell if it's part of his personality or what he sees right before the moment where he's going to do something. But what then happens, it cuts to Sarah Lind and she's had a bad breakup. You don't get to, you don't need to know too much about it. There's backstory. And she's saying goodbye to her friend. She's like, I met this new guy. He's going to pick me up. We're going to go out to his thing. I'm not sure where it is. And of course, Josh Rubin shows up and the two of them go out. And what I was really struck by for the next 30 minutes, it's some of the best um, 
you know, I, I complimented Sarah when I uh, talked to her about it is it's such good moment to moment filmmaking. It's almost real time for about 30 minutes of just their date. And I, it was to me really exciting because I, I just don't think people do that enough. I think I really want to make something like in that real time, because I just think the thing I just made is the opposite of that. So it's like really appealing to make something that's unfolding in one burst of time. And some of her choices to be guarded and not listen to her instinct in moments where she should, but we know who he is. But she also has had this backstory that we don't know. And I, I just, it's really great filmmaking. It's really exciting. And then it turns into a very different movie from about the midpoint. Not totally different, but it becomes a way bonkers, almost references like Bava and Evil Dead 2, which is not necessarily what you'd be expecting. And it goes really off the rails and really situates you in Josh Rubin's character's mindset. And it's it's really original. It's a, I'm using references visually, but that's not because the film feels derivative. It's it's really just a unique movie, and it moves really fast and funny and strange and topical, and it feels very a, a great now movie. I was so impressed, and, and you know I missed it. I had tickets at Beyond Fest, and then I had to travel, and I had to give them up. So um, kudos to all of them. I was joking. Travis is a great person. Sarah's a great person. They're all great, <laughs> uh, but I am very excited for them. I have heard so much about this and everyone has told me that this is such a surreal, absurdist movie that it is very me. And I had actually queued this up to watch the night that I had the surgery and I was coming down because they knocked me out for the surgery. I was still like in and out of it and groggy. And I was like, this is going to like trip me up. And so I didn't watch it. And now I'm like, fuck. I but, no, but they, they, hey, you didn't, you didn't see it. We, so it can't be on your list, but it's on the collective split, list, yeah, but it is on the, on the collective list. list. And, and so, and this is will. one I, I will definitely will watch over the holiday break. Yeah. And it's very, it's just very stylish too. And so it just, it's, it's always exciting. I think when you see somebody get that spot and you're like, okay, that's where that's where they're. I feel like this is where it was aiming the whole time, and now it's hit it. You know, nice. Um, okay, so moving into my number six is one that I wish you had seen. I know you didn't, Uh-oh. but I kind of like this. How do you know so much about me? Because I know what you watch. I follow you on Letterboxd. I know everything mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one that you should still watch, but I don't think you did. And this is Salome. Um, oh, I, d- which- I didn't. Because yeah, I, don't, I still is... don't believe it's a horror film. It looks like a it looks like a western. It's oh a... no, this is right. straight fucking Senegalese horror. This gets right. like crazy right. supernatural at the end. Um, so it is about it is set in um the early two thousands, which I had to look up the history, and I'm still probably going to flub this up. But it is um some type of war happening in Guinea Bissau in Senegal and a group of mercenaries are trying to escape a government coup that has just taken over. And so they are on the run and they decide to hide out in this region of um, Senegal on the Salome River. And where they end up, it's basically like like a hippie commune. It's like this little isolated commune where um, this guy who runs it is very much like, you know, you help out, you're going to help grow crops, whatever. You can stay here for as long as you want, as long as you are supporting the community and helping us out. So it's very much kind of this like hippie commune hostile environment. And this group of mercenaries are there. And you really quickly realize that every single person who is there for the most part has some type of hidden secret that they are hiding out from that this place is very much like it may have these kind of altruistic sheen to it, but everyone is there pretending to be someone else. And because this is a real war torn region with the government and the coup, and then all these different groups that it's like, there's a lot that's happening there. 
And then it goes supernatural. Then it gets way supernatural. This was wild. It inspired me to really look up the history of the region. It does have some Western elements to it at the top when they are doing the war store stuff. Like I think the actual um, tagline was once upon a time in Africa. Like it's really kind of the aesthetic of it and how it looks in the first act is grounded in Western But then after that, it becomes like still this Quentin Tarantino Western vibe, but it brings the horror in full force by act three and gets really supernatural. Yeah. No, I mean, I should know that because it's on Shutter. I get it. But it just everything about the advertising for it. I haven't seen that element, but it's it does sound really unique. So I got to do it. And I will say the supernatural effects at the end are really cool. Like it definitely um, it, it does something interesting I've never seen before. Um, all right, we're, let's keep our international run going. My number six is probably the of the horror films from here. It's the it's the one that kind of goes hardest. I thought it was maybe the most effective, like hard hitting horror film of the year. I saw this at the Phoenix uh, Horror Film Festival early, and that is from Spain. It's called Piggy um, by Carlotta Pereira, and this film is a very fucked up French. Ext- it's a Spanish film, but it feels like a French extreme. Uh, maybe a meeting of uh, fat girl meets high tension. It would be uh, the easy description, fat girl meets high tension, because, uh, you know, it's this young, I don't know how young she's meant to be, maybe 15, 16, a teen girl who is bullied and picked on by all the cool girls who are always on their phone. It's a small uh, Spanish like town, uh, but she is the daughter of the butcher of the town, and she's bullied and and she's you know bu- bullied for being overweight, and it's just you know she's this girl who's very withdrawn and internal and quiet because of that, but she has this kind of rich inner life, you can tell. And then one day she goes to swim, you know, all the cool girls have left and they've teased her. She goes by herself to swim in this like swimming hole that everyone always goes to, and there's this like mysterious stranger guy older than her just kind of you don't really know what his deal is any kind of swims over and they have a little wordless connection and then he watches as these girls bully her and then basically he starts doing really fucking dark shit to people almost out of this weird love pact with her but it would be like if the girl from fat girl fell in love with the killer of high tension and you'd be like oh dear this isn't gonna go well it has a really intense last like half act that has a lot of crazy violence and it's just it just is always going for it great fearless lead performance uh laura gallon in this it's one of those roles you just don't you wouldn't forget this movie or this person i don't think it's a rewatch movie it's but it because it just goes hard um but there just aren't a lot of movies that do this anymore and and they tend to be made overseas when they do uh and this one is it will fill that void if you need the the feeling of a french extreme or something like that um i think it's a very very strong movie uh pick I have seen this on a lot of top 10 lists, yeah. a lot of top five lists yeah, no, it's, as well. It's long. Yeah, it could have been top three easily. It's good enough for that. Okay, so this takes us to number five. Okay, rounding out the second half, and this is usually where we'll start having overlap. I would I think, think there'd be a couple. Already we have had no overlap, so my six in common was a, a bit ambitious, but that's okay. We're still going here. <laughs> what I say, I my, said four. I, I'm, I might get close. Probably. My number five, I have a feeling is higher on your list, Barbarian. Higher on my list. Copy that. Okay. Um, I, I wonder if my number five will be higher on your list. Let's try. My number five is a movie that was, was actually like three a couple of days ago, and I've just been moving around. Smile. Higher on my list. Okay, so this is where we're we're at. All right, what's your number four? My number four, I don't know, could be higher on your list, Deadstream. 
Oh, it didn't make it. Oh, oh my gosh. I love this. Movie I kind of, so I kind of, kind of forgot about it for my list, but it w- probably would have been around the 11, 12 mark, but I really, it's really fun. Okay. So dead stream. This one was sent to me actually last year. Like I had to remind myself when it came out and everything. Cause I got a screening link of this back probably December of last year. I remember watching it around Christmas time. And at the time I knew nothing about it. It hadn't done any festivals yet. It hadn't gotten the hype that it gotten. It was just somebody sent me a link and said, hey, these guys are, are fans of the podcast. Um, can you watch their movie? And it may have been somebody from Shudder. And it was just like, can you watch their movie? They, they'd love a pull quote. And so, and I watched it and I was like, what the hell is happening? It's so homespun. And I have to say, watching it without the hype seeing it immediately go into like being a YouTuber talking to the camera. I was immediately like, Oh God, one of these movies, but there was just something so charming about his character that I kept going with it. And then within 20 minutes, I was like, I fucking love this. I love this so much. It feels like a low budget mix of like evil dead style filmmaking. Like it's got a lot of Sam Raimi in it, but at the same time, it's a haunted house film. There's moments that it's funny. There's moments that it's actually really quite terrifying. The setup of the girl, whoever the girl who's like the haunted character when, Mm -hmm. when that first interacts with him in a creepy way, it's definitely one of the best moments of of movies this year. It's just such a fun surprise. Um, so this one, it, the setup is this, um, disgraced YouTuber. You don't really find out exactly what he's done, but he said something that you can like assume was like racist or, or, you know, really bad socially. He has been completely disgraced. And so as atonement, he is agreeing to stay in a haunted house, um, overnight and every couple of hours, he has to spin this wheel of like, do something stupid. And it's like, play with a Ouija board, hold a seance, you know, try to talk to the dad. And he's got cameras set up all over the house. And he's doing it as kind of like, you don't know if he's actually genuinely sorry, or if this is like another stunt to try to get viewers back. And so you're simultaneously watching him do all of this stupid stuff, going back and forth between all the different cameras that he's got wired up to motion sensors and light sensors all over the house, while you're also watching the feed of people being like, you're an asshole, you should die, things like that, or don't go in there, hey, what's that thing behind you? Um, And so it's just really fascinating how it does use the web aesthetic. But at the same time, it is such a compelling character that he creates that it's it's what pushed me through. And the filmmaking, they use a lot of really smart horror comedy techniques when they're doing this. Yeah. And and the the other character who pops up in there, she's really good, too, and bounces mm-hmm. off him really well. And it's just funny. You know, it's a, it works really well. Yeah, that's a great inclusion. I'm glad yes. it's on the list. Deadstream now on Shudder. Uh, my number four is in any normal year, this would be definitely be my number one. It's the most me film on this list. It's the one that like anyone would watch and go, that's going to be a works number one. And it would be, I just happen to have a couple of films above it. This film's called resurrection uh, directed by Andrew Siemens. This is the Rebecca Hall movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, after Nighthouse, I wouldn't think there'd be a better Rebecca Hall performance. And I don't know if this is, but it's definitely on par. It's as good. And I'm going to, I am going to spoil something about this movie because last time I talked about it, there isn't much you say. You say, oh, she's some kind of OCD. She's, she's a very professional woman. She has a daughter who she's way controlling of because she's scared of something from her past. And uh, she lives this life very, you know, she, she's at the cutting edge of, 
um what are they called like medical medicinal drug stuff and that's her world and one day she goes to a you don't know why she's so uptight and one day she goes to a a convention and she looks across the room and she sees tim roth not watching her he's just watching the conference and she has a complete fucking meltdown she everything about the control of her life is completely gone and she is out of control and you don't understand why and it's and basically it's a menace movie which is one of my favorite subgenres people don't talk about but movies where a character enters a, a character and starts to menace you is the greatest subgenre of movies because it's like you know it would ruin anyone's life or day when if somebody decides to become your menace he enters the story and you find out in a, really one of the best scenes of the year there is a I don't remember what it is. I think it's about eight or nine minute monologue that she tells the story to a girl she works with of what happened in her past. So she basically says there was this man who was older than me. He was friends with, became friends with my parents and he was, uh, he was a cutting edge like university lecturer. And I was 19 and basically tells a story that just, it's the most gripping nine minutes on screen this year. And, and that's an amazing backstory and it's very kind of becomes harrowing. And what you learn is one thing he used to do to her in the relationships, he would ask her to do things like stand in the park for five hours and do not move, but you'll do me that kindness and it'll make me feel great. And I'll know you love me. So he's very controlling, but with weird things, it wasn't ever sexual. It was all these weird things. He, and it really fucked her up and this drive for perfection almost in her life. Um, so I, I need, I just going to bring it up to this part because there's so much more to this, what this becomes, but this will be the hook for somebody because it's bonkers. Uh, they had a baby together back in the past when she's young and, one day she came back from work and she couldn't find the baby. Um, and that's part of the backstory. Okay. So if you don't want to know anything, skip ahead now, but I'm going to just give up to this hook. There's a scene where she finally confronts Tim Roth. He starts falling. She just keeps seeing him in her life. He's around the place. And she's like, finally goes up to him. And he's not coming up to her. He's very smart. He's like, I'm not going to stalk you. They haven't seen each other in 20 years. Uh, she goes up to him and says, you know, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like, oh, it's just sitting here. It's just, oh, he's, he plays it very cool. He's not, he's not psycho. He plays it the opposite. He plays it Mr. Laissez-faire. And at one point she goes, you know, you know, I, I still can't believe, you know, you know, you must've killed our child. I can't believe what you did. And he just looks at her and he goes, no, I didn't kill him. He's still right here. He's right here in my belly. Can't you hear him crying? And then the movie's like, holy fucking shit. I, I felt my like my jaw go to the ground and then movie becomes and you don't know if he's telling the truth or not but where it starts building from that it's like the halfway point it becomes about is she gonna try to kill him what's she gonna do her whole life starts to unravel but I feel like a lot of people don't know it has something as crazy a hook as that and when he says that it's fucking bonkers because he's, wow because he, he's playing head games with her but also you're like, did he eat a baby? You know, it's that kind of a movie. So I, I, I needed to go there in case no one was ever going to watch this movie because it finally is on Shudder. Um, I don't think it was made for Shudder because I think it came uh, there a little later. But it's a fascinating and it's filmed more, I wouldn't say quite like it kind of has an ending, a little Cronenbergian, but it's very clean um, and very stylish. And then it, and it, but very, very real. Everything about it feels completely grounded. Uh, I think a lot of people are, have slept on it because they just think it's going to be a, you know, just a thriller or something. It's it goes somewhere very specific by the end of this movie. It's uh, the cover. It's not doing it any favors because yeah. I have almost pushed play on this a number of times. And every single time I'm like, eh, it just looks yeah. kind of like like a murder thriller. And you might think that about halfway through. But once this moment happens, once her monologue happens, you're kind of you become glued because it's the way she tells the story is so emotional. You're like, oh, my God, what is I, I loved it. I think it's a, I think it's a great movie. 
Um, and it's definitely the most me on my list in terms of the kind of things I like. Um, usually, you know, so it gets real fucking weird. At the it end, gets really, uh, yeah. I don't think any movie could say it got weirder in the last like five minutes than this movie, probably. Um, wow. and that's okay. there's a lot of weird movies this year. <laughs> so though, though i will say travis stevens has the best end credits of the year i won't say anymore but anyone who watches it they'll they'll know uh it's a very fascinating uh end sequence okay taking us to number three i'm suspecting that this might even be your number three or higher my number three is the prey no it's, How did you leave this one off your list, Elric? It, my conversation at my my honorable mention will go into this. I've got a oh my god! Really, so, it was one of the most fun films I saw. Yeah, I loved this. I want more of this. So the prey for me. Um, this is the new updated Predator that they did, where it's set completely apart from any of the Predator stuff that we have seen before. Um, where it is set in uh. First Nations, I believe. I got to look it back up. Or Native American. Yeah, I think it's American. Um, setting, yeah, I think it, I don't know, because it's French. They have French traders. So somewhere up north. Mm. Um, I'll look that up in momentarily. But yeah, it is um, set back in time. And it is about the predator stalking a Native American tribe. Specifically, one female tribe member who wants to be a warrior. She's kind of relegated to women's work, but she wants to be a warrior. I love this one so much because it truly for me felt like exactly what I wish more franchises would let filmmakers do, which is just say, fuck it. I don't want to deal with any of the weird, you know, mythology that you've built before. There's a lot there. I just want to do a full reboot or try something completely different. And for me, it was, we've talked about this before, the idea that you could set the predator down anywhere. Like you, you always used to joke that, you know, predator on purge night is the ultimate movie. And it would work because Predator can appear anywhere. Yeah, He's just you can, you can a, a hunter. Yeah. And so, you know, seeing him pop into this scenario and the language barrier and, and the different hunting skills and navigating being Predator versus Prey in this environment, um, the fact that 99% of the movie was outside, I found to be really fascinating as well, that it was in the woods um, with this really smart female protagonist. I loved this i cheered through this whole movie it made me so excited i miss big budget action horror like this i can't say it it felt like it had a pretty decent budget it wasn't like 90s big budget action horror but if this is as close as i'm gonna get this year i loved having an action horror film and definitely watch it in the native language that made a big difference i watched it both ways i think i saw english first and was like Mm -hmm. i still love the movie but when i went back it made a lot more sense Um, monty had texted me and told me to watch it in um comanche that was it the comanche soundtrack and yes it was so much better that way because it does really bring in that that the language um, and the idea of the the kind of language barrier and what they're saying and the fact that it, things translated differently. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was really cool movie. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one that really would, again, I, well, I'll talk about the couple Hulu ones because I think both of them did that Hellraiser and uh, Prey. And I like both of them, but both of them, I, you know, I got to say Hellraiser on the big screen. I would have mm-hmm. liked to say Prey on the big screen. I think that's a film that could have done two weeks prior to being released on Hulu, you know what I mean? And done really well. Um, but yeah, big fan. All right. My number three is the reason Pearl's not on the list. Uh, really was one of my favorite things I saw this year X and where I disagree with you. I don't think, I think 
it's a little more complicated with the with the uh elderly lady but i think this is actually an incredibly sex positive movie uh for all the other women in this film i think it's a really empowering movie and i think it's a really exciting movie in terms of filmmaking to me is mm-hmm. the most exciting thing i'd ever seen like i i'm a ty west fan but house of the devil's by far my was my favorite and then some of the stuff in between i've been like eh. and this just felt like such a miles above in terms of like craft and exciting a uh, filmmaking i love it because it's about filmmaking i love that they're yes they're trying to make porn and they're trying to burst into the 70s porn scene but really the owen campbell character is a filmmaker and it's really could be texas chainsaw massacre they're trying to film right it could be the toby hooper story something uh and i just really like all the characters like mia goth jenny ortega and britney snow especially britney snow might be my favorite like you know horror performances i just like she's so fun to watch and she's so confident and it's really about like like empowering somebody now the elderly character is clearly she's there to be the opposite of that and for her sex is dangerous and we get to obviously learn a lot more about that in Pearl. So I can totally see X on its own. Somebody could have totally have that view, but I, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like, that wasn't what I was focusing on when I watched it. I, I just thought it was very exciting. I thought it was really when the violence happened, it was, a, it went very far and I love the style of the film itself and the way it's put together. And I just, you know, I could have easily shared a spot with Pearl. I didn't want them to take up two spots on my list. Pearl was, I, I respected and enjoyed Pearl, but I wasn't excited the way X made me while i watched it about films uh i more of like was like oh that was really cool um but together i think it's really great and i'm super excited to see mia goth play that character one more time uh in a you know in the next installment trying to break into porn in the new york city or something in the 80s or whatever it is that's coming so uh, i'm definitely an x fan so uh, i'm in and it was all shot in new zealand with martin henderson as the main guy he's a kiwi yeah x I'm still I'm still torn on like I you know how much I love my grindhouse filmmaking and I love everything that it was referencing but content wise I found it a little bit more difficult to swallow um than Pearl oh hey but that takes us to our number twos I know I know you don't have my number two on your list because we argued about whether or not it's horror and I'm gonna say yeah it's fucking horror and so my number two (laughs) is the menu I will say when I do, I'm going to do a non-horror film list and cheekily that'll be like in my top five because <laughs> it's one of the best films. Yeah, you know. it's totally horror. No, it can be horror and I have no problem with being a list, but it's also a dark comedy of the highest order, like a perfect, oh, perfect yes. dark comedy. It is very much a dark comedy, but at the same time, I mean, it's literally death after death throughout the movie. Yeah. It is it is horror. Yeah. Um, this movie is beautifully crafted to the point of, I will call it exquisite. Yeah. And, and what I found really fascinating is out of all of those dishes that we see prepared throughout the course of the movie... I left it wanting a cheeseburger. Mm. Like that was all I wanted at the end of it was I did not care about any of that other stuff. I just wanted the cheeseburger. And I thought that that was kind of a beautiful thing at the end, Um, which I won't say how that comes about because yeah, it takes a lot to get there. Um, But that, you know, it did have this kind of beautiful moment at the end, even though that you have watched this abhorrent, hilariously dark journey. Um, The setup is a group of people have been invited to this very exclusive restaurant. It is on an island. They perform perform this feat of a dinner where it's like all of these like seven courses and each one is perfectly proportioned to your hunger. And there's a story that goes with it of why these flavors are blended together. And it's the finest this and the finest this and the care taken for this. And it's all of these different people that don't seem to have any connection together. Um, and, and, 
then it kind of, you know, as, as each course happens, something happens that kind of unravels the mystery of what's going on a little bit more. And at no point was I actually predicting what happened? Like it definitely yeah. sidestepped me every single time. Yes. Um, and even if you knew like, oh, who was bad or who wasn't, you didn't know what was about to happen or how they would react to each other. It would always surprise you with those little turns, I think. Yeah. And this one, I had an absolute blast. It fed into my love of that very specific subgenre from like the mid 2000s of like the cube of let's put all these people in a room together and kill one like every 15 minutes until they figure out why they're there. There was like the killing room um, exam. There was a whole bunch of those movies. I've always loved them. This was like that same style done on a super classy, elegant, high budget. Like with Benwell um, or Peter yeah. Greenway. It's like Cook, Thief, the Wife, and the Lover or Exterminating Angel, but with one of those movies. With one of those movies. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just like my pers- personal marriage yeah. of everything that I love. So this, um, quite possibly one of my favorite films of the year. I stashed it at number two because nothing will beat my screening um, experience of this next one. But yeah, I thought the menu was just divine. Yeah, and I, I like I pretty much am just sometimes I have to convince myself to leave something off uh, on a technicality so as I can fit in more weird movies. Um, but that is like movie would definitely be my top 10 films of the year, regardless. It's totally fucking horror. I believe it. I'm not going to say no, you know, uh, we're just trying to fit in the movies we can't. OK, my number two. Have you OK, when you were younger, uh, when you first uh, started dating, did you ever like just not show up on a date? No, like, did you ever stand someone up? I don't think I've ever done that. That's interesting because you did that to me on Saturday. So, uh, anyway, so my number actually, I didn't. I texted you like the time before. I was like, holy shit. It was the night before, but no, uh, it was the night, but I gave you 24 hours notice that I was not going to be able to do that weekend. Well, I went by myself. Oh, God. uh, I don't know if. I actually have no clue how you where you'd land on this one. I don't know. Like it's not that, and I don't mean that in a good or bad way. I think you would like it. Um, I wasn't completely in the bag for Suspiria the remake, even though I like Luca Guadagino a lot. I I think I think there's a 90 minute version of Suspiria that's the best film of that year by far, and I think the full version has a few too many digressions and bookends and Tilda Swinton and make it like I think the core dancer film of that would just be amazing. Like for me personally, I know a lot of people love it and that's great. Uh, this one was felt more streamlined, even though that will sound funny because it's actually very episodic and it's, but it's only about two hours and 10. Um, this is bones and all. And I only just saw it, but the fact that it's placing this high tells you a lot. It really fucking worked for me. I really sank into the world of film. Again, it's horror, but it's a lot of other things too. It's my, my short and a lot of people probably are writing something version of this, but it's definitely Badlands. In my my vision, it's meeting Martin or something like that. Um, but it's its own thing. And it's it's actually really, weirdly enough, kind of a beautiful film and a loving film. But it's also a Mark Rylas in this film. You get a character in this movie uh, who isn't like necessarily the villain, but he's creepy and you don't want to be around him. And then that gets exasperated over time to the point where it becomes a bigger status. And it is incredible performance and like just one of the creepiest things you'll see this year, uh, this year in a movie. Uh, Chalamet is really solid. But for me, the the lead actress in this is, is like now my number one person I will dream of working with because I watched this movie feeling like I was watching a first performance and it had the rawness of a discovery of like Sissy Spacek and Badlands where it's like, oh my God, who is this person? And she, everything she does is just so real and raw. And then I look it up and she's, you know, the star of the escape room movies that we've seen together. And I was like, what? That girl? Like, I like her in those movies. I love those movies. But 
it's such a different performance style that my brain literally couldn't, I almost couldn't, I was like, I, I had to like double check and I was like, wow, this person's range is off the charts. And so it made me very excited. Her name's Taylor Russell. And I just think she is the thing to fall in love with in this movie. She's a young girl, you know, goes to a sleepover with some friends. She's a little bit of an outsider and she's not usually allowed to go to sleepovers. Her dad doesn't let her do things. And you know, the girl's like showing her fingernails and she bites her fucking finger off and everyone freaks the fuck out and she go, freaks out because she doesn't know why she did it and she runs home tells her dad and he's like oh my god you've got to you've got to get out of here and we, you, we've got three minutes take whatever you can and you realize that that stuff like this has been happening since she was a baby but he's been cleaning it up and she doesn't really understand it or remember it and it becomes part of this it was, it was based on a ya novel but it's they took it in a very different direction it's not ya anymore and they you know in the adaptation they made it far more adult and um she is basically the dad leaves her and leaves a note of a recording and a head cassette player for the seven the eighties, which is another part of it. That's really fun. And it's kind of says, look, I can't, I can't do any more for you. I'd promised your mom. I tried, you know, here's what I know about you, but otherwise you're going to have to figure it out kind of thing for his own safety. And she is somebody who does need is going to require to feed on human flesh. And it's not, never feels like a gross, ew, it's cannibal movie. But it is the essential drive, and there's more people. They can smell each other. Um, they have the ability, and she meets Mark Rylance, and he can smell her, and he kind of tells her how this works. But he also warns her, you know, don't get too close to people because you're not going to be able to control these impulses. And it's a it's to see horror. Whenever horror big horror ideas are treated this raw and realistically and grounded, I get excited. It doesn't mean I don't like the '80s fantasy horror because I do. But sometimes it's hard to pull these off. Uh, to make them really feel real. And I think this movie, you know, this is Reagan America and it's just, I really dug it. She eventually meets Chalamet and they have a true romance at the heart of this movie and a really, it really a great rom- young love movie. Uh, and it, by the end, it's really fucked up. You know, it's got, it got a last part of it. That's very dark. And I just, this movie knocked me out. It's, it's just one of the best things of the year. And it was, it's totally tanked at the box office. It's very, very sad to hear. I just realized that it's, I think it costs like 16 and it's made like a couple million dollars in America and overseas it's doing okay. But it's just, you know, with Timothy Chalamet that you, if this had hit, maybe more movies like this get made, but it didn't. Um, But I hope people see it in the theater while they still can, because it's a beautifully shot. When I say it looks like Badlands, I mean, it has that beautiful, america open air as they kind of go from town to town she's trying to basically find her mom to find out what what she is and why she is that way and she's never met her mother um and that's kind of her kind of core journey great movie um but i can also see some people watching and being like oh this is bullshit this isn't the kind of heart you know i can see it being in both polls for people but for me it's a fantastic movie Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, muted myself there accidentally. Um, even with my grad students, this was a real polarizing movie. And I wanted to see it because I did kind of want to see which way I fell on. But I had students arguing about it in class where some were saying it was their favorite film of the year. Hmm. And others were like, oh, my God, that sucks so bad. Nothing happened. It's not horror. It's just like a lame romance with nothing going on. And yeah, it was just real. Well, that's whoever those students, you should kick them out because that's insane. There's so much going on in this movie. 
No, I understand if somebody doesn't like the tone, but there's a couple really crazy horror moments in this movie that are very like, you know, pretty, it has some grotesquery to it, but it's the majority is more about the, you know, trying to live and trying to live with something like this. Um, apparently the, the, I heard the screenwriter who writes all of Lucas movies. He said in his one meeting with the novelist who was a YA novelist, she said, the one thing I will let you guys adapt this however you want, as long as there's still a vegan subtext. And he said, so that, and I don't know what that is because I'm watching this movie going, I have no clue. And I don't think he did either when he said yes to it, but it was a pretty funny story that that was key to her. Uh, so clearly it's probably in the subtext of this, uh, of this piece, but yeah, I don't know. This, this movie's fascinating. And I'm so, really happy that Luca's making weird art horror films because yeah. he could also just be making Academy Award winning art films, which is what he was on the path to doing. And then he pivoted. Oh, and David Gordon Green. I got to put this out. David Gordon Green in the craziest cameo. He has a cameo as one of the like as kind of like a bad character, but it's just bonkers. Like he's playing a guy who's not one of them, but likes to hang out with one of them. And it's fucking weird. It's a really weird scene. It's just weird to see this director of the Halloween movies jumping in uh, acting wise. It was pretty cool. Okay. This takes us to our number ones of the year, which we've already determined were on others. We're on um, the other person's list higher up. So my number one of the year, I think you had played it four or five it was at five but it was at three recently and it's my second favorite movie i saw in a movie theater in terms of like the experience it's way so, yeah there. this was by far my favorite theatrical experience of the year and also just kind of like this movie hit a lot of really smart fun horror notes for me it's the type of movie that makes me excited to see horror and that is smile yeah. um elric knows i yipped out loud more than once in this screening like i, I the actually most i've ever watched you and i think like six or seven times i jerked I yeah three and one big one yeah, and I definitely covered my eyes at least once as well. This is why I will never get sick of watching horror. Like, I can get sick of watching torture films. I can get sick of watching arty horror where nothing really happens or it does, but it's, you know, it's not thrilling. The type of movie where I'm like, things are jumping out at me and I'm scared. And what is that giant fucking thing? And oh my God, the camera's just pushing into darkness and what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Those will get me every single time and they will make me excited to see it. It's that adrenaline rush. That for me is my roller coaster ride that makes me constantly looking for new horror. And anytime I can get that thrill ride, I am elated. And so this was my favorite theatrical experience of the year because I did yip and gasp and scream out loud a couple of times and and jerk. Um, and then even coming back home and rewatching it and just kind of how clever I find the mythos to be. That it's using traits and tropes that we've seen a bajillion times before, but it's doing something interesting with them that I have not seen before. Um, and so, yeah, I found this to to just be kind of a, a wonderful um, visit back to the type of horror films that I really love. And the fact that it's directed by Zach Craig or... Um, Parker yeah, Zach, yeah, oh, this Parker. Is Parker Finn. This is Parker Finn. Thank you. The other one that we're getting ready to talk about is Zach. But yeah, Parker Maybe. Finn. Um, and this is his first film. Well, first um, feature, yeah. Yeah, first, first feature, feature. I mean, like, and I went back and watched the short of this, and you can see where it came from, but it's not this film. And how he kind of was able to craft this film. Out of it, I, I'm so impressed by the story. That was the night that my um, internet would not let me into um, Zencaster. Right, yeah. And so all I could do was sit idly by and listen to the conversation about his journey with the studio and everything. This is how you're making it up to him. 
Yeah. <laughs> like putting so, it at number one, you're making it up to. And I was just so um, uh, just annoyed that my internet, every single time I joined the show, it would completely boot me back out and tell me like my optimization was not there or whatever. And, um, but yeah, this one, uh, my favorite viewing and by far my favorite movie. So that is Smile, which I'm going to assume most of our listeners have seen at this point. I mean, if not, they should. And I've heard a couple of people who will go and they will surprisingly not be as into it as we were. And I'm, I'm really surprised by that. I wonder if, Maybe it's the theatrical, but this movie will have such legs. Like 20 years from now, people will watch it in the exact yeah. way that we watch things like The Ring. Um, Saucy Bacon is incredible in it. I think she gives one of the best horror performances of the year. Carl Golner mm-hmm. is just awesome. Amazing. Um, but yeah. I do think it's the, I think it might be the best directed movie I've seen this year. Just, it, you know, the menu would be the other one that's like really high on that. But the smile, it's just put together and crafted so well filmmaking wise that even if you thought a trope was repetitive, he's going to surprise you how he, dishes it out and that's what i thought was so cool about it but yes i'm a big fan of this one too um and it is my second favorite theatrical experience uh because i've got to say the movie that number one i i've the only movie on this entire list this year and it's the only movie i've seen twice in a theater i just never do that anymore i saw it once at an advanced thing uh where the producer wanted us to come i had no expectations i didn't know if i'd like it or if i just have to be nice and it blew my mind. And then I went again with my friend and his family and all their kids. And it was like funny to watch it with like kids because it's such a crazy movie. And that is Barbarian by Zach Krager. This is this was the other roller coaster. Uh, my favorite thing is when he said that his direction was uh, for the style of the movie was Fincher upstairs, Raimi downstairs. That perfectly sums up what this movie is. And it as a roller coaster and as an act of like, like, do I think it's as effective a horror film as Smile? No, not really. But as an experience in terms of like twist after twist and my other favorite thing that I don't always feel because a horror comedy is different. This isn't a horror comedy, but it's the funniest movie I saw this year because when it is funny, it's fucking funny. But when it, when it turns, it turns on a dime and can just shock or scare you. Uh, when Justin Long enters this movie, it's my favorite thing in movies this year. It's like when he enters this film and the scene that he enters with and the kind of surprising character choice it's just one of those movies that uh and i think the setup georgina campbell's fantastic as the lead bill skarsgård the smartest casting of the year if you haven't seen this film you will have to see it i i think i read a comment I, this will be this is a bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but i think i read a comment by somebody who was like i've seen this film twice and i'm I, even on the third viewing i still think bill skarsgård did it <laughs> and i was like that's pretty fucking funny because he is the casting of casting pennywise uh at the start of a movie where you don't know whether to trust a person or not is basically genius and there's no way as a viewer you can trust that person uh i think this movie is just so funny and smart and weird and and goofy even like you know once it takes its big turns some of the, one of the creatures i'll say in this there's moments of goofiness almost like fucking dead alive or something like oh there's moments that where the character's so over the top but i it always works for me i never am out of the movie and that is a spell that i don't the fact that we have a, a year where we have smile and barbarian and, mo- and like multiple movies of that kind of quality is it's kind of insane to me because usually you'd mm-hmm. get one of these a decade that's this fun um but yeah it, it held up just as good the second time i i do wish me and you could have seen this one together in a theater because we yeah. I don't think you did you see it theatrically no, I watched it yeah. after it came to like Amazon. I yeah. got it. So yeah, it's not took, quite the same, but or I, Hulu, yeah. wherever it is now, yeah, I watched it, it on there. Yeah. And it's, you know, just because this was one where you can't see where it's coming 
it's not possible. Yeah, like the after the first twenty minutes, there are things that no one, no sane person, should be able to write. And clearly, Zach's uh, a madman. So that's no. It is very clear that Zach is a comedy director, yeah. and that he did write this horrific story. But at the end of the day, his comedy stylings came through, and that this is just kind of where it led him. And it is just a work of a mad genius. I love this movie so much it is just so absolutely bonkers and it's one of those that like i will be teaching and saying yeah i don't know how this exists and it's as good as it is because if anyone had just handed me a treatment for that plot i would have handed it back and been like gross ass torture porn and and that would have been the end of it of like you know this is this is kind of you know not a pleasant movie it's not going to be fun there's no way yeah and somehow it is it's one thing to congratulate a filmmaker on getting a movie like this made, but even though we know one of the producers, the whole producing team, you, it's one of those movies you have to stand back and go, the fact that the, a group of people protected you so you could make this movie on this level is amazing. And, and that people Boulder should do it more Light often. somehow yeah. teamed up with Disney. Like yeah. it's just Roy Lee. Like, Roy Lee, and Roy Lee is somehow involved. Yeah, it's, it's this amazing it's really conglomeration of uh, just things that should not exist in this world, but somehow came together. And feels like his voice when you were talking about him being a comedy director, it, it reminds you for sure of of what Jordan Peele is able to do with those kind of tones, and mm-hmm. and so it's not surprising they have similar kind of backgrounds uh, in terms of you know short form comedy. So anyway, love all of those. Uh, let's recount down our ten quickly, and then let's yes. do a couple quick honorable mentions because there's a couple biggies. Yeah, and then we're gonna do four of like whatever, like whatever was not yeah, included. We, on we our can list. make that our honorable mention. Just pick yeah. four, whatever you want to. Um, so my 10 were Hellraiser, The Cursed, Pearl, Sissy, Salome, Barbarian, Deadstream, Prey, The Menu, and Smile. Excellent. Uh, my 10 is uh, The Sadness, 9, Watcher, 8, Terrifier, 2, 7, A Wounded Fawn, 6, Piggy, 5, Smile, 4, Resurrection, 3, X, 2, Bones and All, and number 1, Barbarian. So we only had two in common this year. Wow. That's a little less than usual. Yeah, and I think... I don't think it shows our taste difference as much as how we've watched movies because like, yeah, technically menu would have probably been on both. And I think you haven't seen wounded fawn yet and stuff. So I have not, but there's a couple and resurrections. So I think there's a couple we, but you know, that's good. More movies to share to the world. So yes. in other words, we had, that means we had, what was it? Uh, does that mean we had 16 films altogether? 16 or 18? Films. Yeah. 18. 16. I can't, I can't count. It would be 18. <laughs> um, but so I, I one of the things that I noticed here is neither of us had nope on our list. So that, that when I started this, I, I I saw this the day after I stopped filming, and I was struck by it, but I was also fucking exhausted. I saw it in the theater the day it came out. It's an amazing film. It feels more like a science fiction film. Um, it's the satire is incredible. The design I've I've been thinking about a lot more lately, and I have a feeling a couple years from now. I will regret this not being at like the number one or two spot. And I do think it's going to be a, a big grower. It just didn't grab me as cleanly. The alien part of it and the kind of the, the monster of it didn't grow me as much as much. The design is as good as anything. He's yeah. Made. No. And that was my issue as well is I did, was not into the alien. Mm-hmm. Um, Like where it goes for me, the design, like it just didn't do anything for yeah. me. I was the entire first half of the movie is they're like, oh, the, the cloud doesn't move. There's clearly something hiding in the cloud and something's happening to the horses and the farm. And what's all this shit raining down from the sky? The mystery of it was so amazing. And then when they finally found out what it was, I was just like, oh, 
And then I didn't enjoy the second half of the movie. So this was a tough one for me. I even rewatched it last week because I and was you're a Jaws determined. fanatic. And it's I'm a Jaws, Jaws fanatic. Movie. I yeah, know it is. It is a straight up Jaws movie. And I rewatched it. Um, this was one of my surgery movies. I rewatched it while I was recovering, thinking I had to have missed something the first yeah. time because I'd seen it pop up on a bunch of other top 10 lists. And I was like, I it didn't hit with me. I must have missed something. So I rewatched it on Monday night and I still was like, cool, first act. Oh, oh, that's where it's going. Okay. And then it just didn't hit. So what, what um, does yeah. really work, uh, you know, regardless of where people fall, is the 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 smart kind of what he's saying about the film filmmaking, the industry, you know, the fact that they're talking about like one of the first black people to ever be on screen would have been in the initial freaking yeah. test for celluloid itself and how people are forgotten, how they're, you know, freaking chewed up and spat out by the creature or the industry. A child actor is one of the stars. I mean, it's got so much, maybe too much. Like, like you know what I mean? It's so smart. It has all these things going. It's a lot to digest, I think, Um, you know, in terms of the, what it's trying to say, the subject. So I'm going to promise if anyone's mad at me right now for not putting I'm this is one I'm going to rewatch and see what I think but I I think on terms of design it doesn't lessen you know Jordan Peele to me is still the guy right now he's the guy Mm -hmm. to watch and whatever he does will be an event and I think that's still exciting yeah um okay so some of my runner-ups that I'm just going to call out for the sake of Mm -hmm. time the harbinger was one that I Absolutely loved when I saw this at Fantasia. I debated putting this um, on the list. It didn't quite make the cut, but it was definitely one that I, I really enjoyed. Orphan, Orphan First Kill. I still don't know if it's a horror film, but I, I really thought this would make your list. It. Yeah, I, sure I feel like it, it should be. This was just such a bonkers movie across the board. Hellhole was that one on Netflix that I encountered that was uh. like some um oh gosh i can't even remember where it was from now dutch danish um something like that i probably got those both wrong um but it was yeah a priest movie on netflix that i encountered that ended up kind of i really fell in love with speak no evil is one that i did not like it i did not like the way it made me feel but i have not stopped thinking about it and I have found myself talking with other people about it yet. So I feel like it's really affected me. And this one's just weird. The Reef Stalked, like looking back at like my enjoyment level, this one, it's silly. It's big giant CG sharks, but there was some really fun kills in The Reef Stalked. So if you are a shark fan, um, this one, it just, it had some really fun kills and and kind of murder set sequences with the shark. I loved a lot that they did in this. Yeah, well, a couple of mine, there's two I'll just mention because they're not like, they're not full films. I don't want to, I don't mean that to demean them, but one is called, uh, just fascinating, called We Are Going to the World's Fair. Oh, I loved this one yeah, direct, so much. Jane Schoenbrunn. It's just fascinating. And again, it's like less movie movie than it is like weird document you discover about a teenage girl getting involved in an online kind of horror game that everyone's trying to do. And then it's weird stuff starts happening. Mostly you're just watching to see what will happen. Uh, but it's a fascinating piece of work. And, it, yeah. you know, so it's per- for me, it was perfect honorable mentions, but it's a really interesting one to watch kind of film. And uh, the other, because it's only an hour, I was tempted to put it in, but Panos Cosmatos is the viewing from the Cabinet of uh, Curiosity. I, I mean, I think shout out to the entire Cabinet of Curiosity. Yeah, I've got that on my four that we can mention in yeah, a sec. Yeah, it's one of the, the only things. Thing. It's one of the only things that every chapter is watchable and good. Uh, and then some are great. But like the fact that they're all good, that never happens. And this one is on a crazy, wild, face-melting level, pure Panos, and that made me very happy. And then the last thing, 
these are my honorable mentions. So you could do yours. Uh, oh. uh, I just mixed it up. But my, my other thing, and this is what you were talking about. I could have easily put Prey in my top 10 and I could have easily put Hellraiser. I think I need another view. And I'll go on further. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Fun. A lot of, yeah, a lot of people made fun of it. It was really fucking fun. So on mm-hmm. my honorable mention of the highest regard, it's the word reboots of these massive franchises all being done by streamers. None of these going theatrical, but I got to say, I thought they're all freaking interesting. And I think they point to an exciting possibility with IP uh, where the stakes are lower because they're not going theatrical. I wish they would do a week or something, but because they don't need to make that crazy, it's a really good sign for what what could happen with certain IP. And I, I put them all together, even though I think Prey is you know, just an inch above Hellraiser and Hellraiser quite a bit above TCM, but they're all, I liked all of these movies a lot. And so to me, that was exciting that we're getting these big um, IPs from our childhood uh, horror films we loved or characters doing something new and something modern. And so, you know, I, I that's why I kept it here. Uh, I couldn't differentiate them in my head, but um, still, do- and Fresh, I wanted to mention again, but we already talked about the mm-hmm. top. It's still a great movie and deserves to be mentioned. So we had talked about doing kind of uh, honorable mentions of anything, not yeah, just films, yeah. but kind of anything. I definitely want to give a shout out to Hocus Pocus 2. Like yeah. that was definitely okay. one of my peak viewing experiences of the year. It's just so much fun. It's better than Hocus Pocus 1. I mean, it will always, the first one will always have a, a very strong place in my heart because it was kind of my adolescence. Um, but man, it was a fun movie. Cabinet of Curiosities. Um Nice House on the Lake and the Me You Love in the Dark were definitely my two um, graphic novels for the year that I was like, holy fuck, these are great. Um, I got Nice House after you talked about it, and it really was a mindfuck. It was really like kind of scary about how the world could go. (laughs) There's a second one that's due out in February. Um, So I've already pre-ordered it, and I'm like... Idly waiting for it to arrive. And you would like the me you love in the dark. It's it's like okay. a romance, but a real fucked up contemporary gothic romance. It's got like a lot of pandemic-y tones to it. Like it's it's real messed up. And I loved it. Um, and then of course the three TV shows that I considered, or actually I'll say four TV shows this year, um, that really just lit up my world. Um, from which I know you watched. I agree. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Really tight. Um, Yellow jackets. I loved, I know they've got the second season coming back soon. I'm excited for that. Evil season three. Oh my God. Whatever the, whatever the season was this year. Um, I am so, I was so excited with where they left it off and I am so excited for where it's going. The final episode was amazing. It was directed by John Dahl, um, who is, um, the guy who did like Red Rock West. He's done a bunch of those episodes. He usually does like three or four a, a season. And so he did that final one and it's just fucking hilarious and wild. Hmm. Um, and then the one on Netflix that I don't think enough people watched, All of Us Are Dead. Don't know that South one. Korea. I think it was South Korean. Um, zombie. Um, it, it may have been Japanese. I need to look that up. I apologize. But yeah, All of Us Are Dead. Um, zombie outbreak in a high school. And I just found it to be so captivating. The camera work um, was just amazing in it. Like I was constantly, yeah, it was zombies, but they did so much cool stuff with it. And the camera work was just absolutely divine. Hold on one sec while I find out the nationality of All of Us Are Dead. Yeah. And the graphic novel I really dug was another one of your Rex was the autumnal which I talked about the Daniel Cross one. I really like South that. Korean. I was right the first time. Uh-huh. There we go. Okay. Sorry. Autumnal. 
Yeah, no, I no, I just was saying I really like that one. I of your recommendations, I I'd never get through enough stuff, but that one I thought had a that one felt like I was watching a movie. You know, like I could already see the film while I was reading it. It was very clear, you know. Um, it felt like a nineteen eighties, uh, like uh, it felt like a lore that had been around a long time, which was cool. But yeah, no, though, I mean, look, there's so much good stuff. I I I can't even remember all the books I read now. But I I feel like in a year like this, I I literally had a list. I was keeping my list of horror films and it was up to like i think it was up to like 35 movie new movies i'd seen this year and and like the first 24 are all really good you know like and even some of the smaller ones that i didn't you know that didn't make my top 10 list like the seller or Mm -hmm. the revealing like there was just so many cool ones or hellbender was another one that i was like god that was just such a fun experience not my top 10 but just still it was a great film Oh, I know. I'll use all my honorable mentions at the end for a movie that you're not allowed to talk about called Glorious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do a plug because it's out there now wide in the world. Uh, so and and it is a lot of fun, but we're, we have no objectivity. But at least we got to see it at the same time on a big screen and I got to do the Q&A with you. So that was a nice memory. Yeah, no, this was um, a lot of fun to make and a lot of fun to finally get to watch. And hey, this week, um, Glorious just finally came to VOD. So we've been on Shutter since um, late August. But as of this week, we are now available on all of your major VOD platforms for streaming. And uh, which is it was super exciting because we're getting a whole new group of viewers now. And we've made a couple of top 10 lists, which has just lit me up inside every single time that I see us pop up there next to like black phone. I'm like, holy fuck. That's one that neither of us put on our list. I watched it twice, actually. I did see it twice and I liked it more the second time. And there's a lot of stuff about it I like a lot. And it's 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 but there's other parts where I was like, oh, there's things in the script where I want to go in there and like add like a piece in the middle. Uh, But you know, some people, it'll be the top of a lot of people's list. That's the thing. It'll be in the top one or two, I think, for a lot of people because it was a very popular film. Mm-hmm. So I'm not too worried because I know a lot of people will dig it. Um, yeah. And, and so you can see Becca's film. My film, if you do want to see it, uh, you just have to ask uh, the editor and he'll show you a rough timeline and he'll probably have a pained expression on his face. I haven't seen it yet. And when are you giving me this? No one. No one's going to see it. We're just, it's all top secret. It just, it stays there. It <laughs> absolutely stays I'm there. Like, uh, it's like performance art. I just announce this and then kind of hide it. I show it to one person and I film their reaction to the film. And that's the <laughs> film I release. And then, and then I do a little dance. <laughs> and I said the revealing, it is revealer. I absolutely love it. Oh, I never movie. saw that one. I never Writer that one. Um, Tim Seeley, who did Hack and Slash. And this one, it's got Lovecraftian tones too. Like it's it's got a lot of style and pizzazz to this movie. This was another one of the smaller ones that um, really kind of, you know, took me by surprise with how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. like That one's so- on Shutter too. Yeah, there's there's oh actually okay while well, we're doing last one because uh, I don't think you saw this but I think you would like it it's uh, you won't be alone and it's the the one that was like about the witch who can keep changing the body she's in over time it's kind of like Terrence Malick doing I remember people. you was telling me about this one it's, I think it's it's not like a rewatch movie because it's so specific but it's one of those movies I think you should see one time I think it's it should be in the tradition like one of the great witch movies um but you know again it should be on it probably will be on a lot of people's top 10 but um yeah I think you would find it really interesting if nothing else you won't be alone nice. okay well what okay. a year that was a lot of movies. That yeah. was, that was we, a lot. We had a lot to catch up on. Oh, there'll be a couple more deep cuts this year, but otherwise we will be our vow of silence so we can restore all these energies and hit you back in January with excitement and pizzazz. 
I um, am excited to see an Elric Kane original movie come in 2023. My performance dance. Yes. Yes. With your, your full performance. All it is, it's just you doing like a performative dance the whole time um, to what the movie was supposed to be. But for some reason you've decided not to release it. So here's your performative dance about your intention behind it. Exactly. Um, For for anything that isn't understood now cut to me doing the dance. You know, I think that's good. Uh, Yeah. No, hopefully, hopefully I I think we're probably now charting around February ish to be maybe mid to late just because we've got not, not when you'd see it to when we're be done, done. I'm a producer and he won't even let me see a cut yet. And, you know, trying to be cool with that. Be like, yeah, take your time. I got a lot going on, you know, it's, it's cinema. Cinema. cinema but but no it's been it's been great that we've been able to uh get to chase some of these dreams ourselves as well as watch this many movies uh and still have people listening it's very nice uh, yeah and we appreciate you guys a lot and uh you know if you do get bored and need to a little bit of a hit of us we are over on the patreon if you aren't on there and you go you will have literally hundreds of hours of stuff to tide you over uh so even without the new ones so yes um, and even though this is our last um, Colors episode of 2022, we will be continuing our Patreon show during um, December. So we have two more episodes coming there. And just today I posted up top 15 list of horror podcasts, um, not nonfiction like us, fictional horror podcasts. Um, perfect for all of your holiday travels. So yes. definitely check that out. And I think we're doing our um, year list of deep cuts, our top deep cut discoveries of the year. Oh, well, we'll one, also... I think one of our episodes is going to be actually our five favorite hard actual yeah. episodes is going to be that. So it'll be like a yeah. roundup. Um, but yes, and also a big thank you as always. I couldn't do any of this without the recording engineer, Ernie. Hi, Ernie. I think we promised him we'd be out in an hour. Um, yeah, so Ernie, Ernie tolerates us and lets us just keep talking because that's what we do best hey he gets paid the big bucks (laughs) this this is retirement money right here ernie Um, we love you much appreciated sir uh and thank you fangoria and all everyone else have an awesome uh rest of your december and a very happy holidays The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Hurtado.